This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. It's a restart of the front two today. Uh, we're missing Christian this week after him joining us last week, but joined by David Hughes. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, Josh. And we're going to address um, Manchester City this week. Obviously, the win, the win that we managed to get 3-1. We're going to also talk about, you know, the, the state of play after 12 matches. Obviously, we've got an international break now. We can look back a little bit. And for half of the podcast, we're going to address... Um, questions that we've been asked this week we, we sent out a Q&A today uh, the questions that we don't get to we're going to address next week uh, half of next week so so we'll get into it anyway Manchester City um, we questioned how the match would go we questioned various things whether Klopp would stay the same whether Pep would stay the same compared to last year which manager would go for it which, which manager would you know opt to play safe if you like um, you was obviously there, Dave. Mm. Uh, just any general thoughts on on how it went, but the early stages maybe and things like that. Yeah, I mean, how it played out. At first, I'm really impressed how calm you are. You know, <laughs> I, I expected you to be a little bit more giddy about it, but um, no, this is a uh, commonplace now, mate. Yeah, true. Yeah, just another win. Yeah, um, really, really, really good game. I thought um, it lived up to the hype. Um, we'll go into the details a little bit more shortly, um, but yeah, really enjoyed the game. Uh, it, on reflection, it was probably a little bit of a shame that um, CC perhaps did were lacking in the the defensive department a little bit because um, not think, for us. No, not for <laughs> no, not from a Liverpool point of view. I just mean from if we're talking from a neutral point of view. Um, but yeah, just a really good game and lived up to the the building in my opinion. Yeah, it was it was more entertaining than I thought it would be mm, beforehand. Yeah. Uh, obviously, if you look back to last year, I think. We left last year with a point which wasn't particularly ideal at the time, but this year that would have really done mm. if we're being completely yeah, yeah, you know, satisfied kind of thing. And Guardiola, although they didn't win, he seemed to well, you know, master Anfield more than he had before. They hadn't really Liverpool hadn't really steamrolled them over a short period, mm. as was the case beforehand. So I I was surprised to see how the match played out slightly differently. I I, I think it's safe to say that Pep this time around went for it yeah, more than definitely. before. Yeah. Um, last year we saw an avoidance of the middle of the pitch. They seemed to build using the flanks, which avoided Liverpool's, well, Liverpool's workhorse midfield, really, mm. in the centre of the pitch. And it avoided major errors being made. And it largely worked, but the problem was it's, it also seemed to nullify City's attack last year. This time around Guardiola came and he, they seemed to play quite intricate football combinations playing forward mm. they gained the corner in the first like 30 seconds mm. uh, we struggled to really get out of our own half for the first five minutes it was, wasn't a great start up until Fabinho obviously found the back of the net mm. um, and I think Klopp went back to just the standard approach to facing Pep which is just basically turn the game into a bit of a dogfight mm. um, turn it into a bit of a pinball match and Used transitions and that sort of thing, and I thought it was very. Someone said this to me this week already. I thought it was very Champions League three nil win. Mm. I thought it went along those lines very yeah. similarly. I I feel like uh, in, in this game Pep kind of 
almost try to overcompensate the the weak defence by being so attack minded um, and potentially trying to trying to I don't know play Liverpool at their own game in terms of maybe trying to blow them away in the first 20-30 minutes that's very difficult to do and obviously they didn't do it but then at the same time if the goal doesn't come when it does we don't know how it would have panned out that first half hour because they they were pretty um, I wouldn't say dominant that's the wrong term but they were they were very attack minded they, they picked up quite a few corners in that those early exchanges actually and they were quite threatening um, they, yeah they, they just didn't look as phased yeah. as, uh, as before it felt like they had a, it, it felt like they had the bit between the teeth a little bit. As I said, the goal changes things slightly, the, the dynamics of the game. But oh, massively really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought they really, really went out to, to attack Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, City came with vaguely the same formation as last season. Mm. Uh, that wasn't really, that, that hadn't really changed. Guardiola showed, I think he seemed to show that the overthinking stage against Liverpool, he seems to have passed. I don't think there was any real overthinking this time around. Okay, he played Angelino, but Angelino was a left back anyway. I don't think there was much. Yeah, that's just a, 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 a tactical move that makes sense. I think against to play Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit weird that he that Mendy wasn't included at all, and the word on the day was that that was a tactical. Decision, yeah, do you which think not... there's something on the line there though? Well, I think it's. I think it it maybe comes down to a bit of trust. I think he lacks a bit of trust mm. in Mendy, which is understandable. I do think he's got a bit of a. A bit of an erratic game. Yeah, he has, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's difficult to absolutely nail Liverpool's game on the day because we took the lead so early. Mm. And I think that then, if, if any time Klopp takes the lead against the Guardiola team, Klopp's going to allow them the ball mm. and we're going to get them on the break. That's yeah. that's always the way it's going to go. I'm not exactly sure what minute Fabinho scored in. I think it was inside 10, though, wasn't it? I, I know I have six in my head, but... Yeah, be, you might be yeah, like there. Around six, yeah. But so I think that first goal was crucial. That then allows City to... Yeah, that then allows us to effectively play on the break. Mm. We haven't really got to overcommit. City yeah. have got to expand to try and break us down. Yeah. Um, so that seems to be how the match went stylistically. Um, Can I just touch on... No, I was really impressed with, and I was only impressed because you don't really see it. <laughs> I can't believe how, how brilliant Liverpool sit in the low block. Obviously, they never have to do it, but I thought they did really well in terms of just City, limiting City in that final third. Yeah, well, we will get to that. But what you know, what you've just mentioned there about Guardiola not really having a defence, yeah, and as a result, he went for it. Mm. That's what Klopp used to do. Klopp used to really press from the front um, and use the likes of Salah and maybe not Salah. Well, yeah, Salah, Salah, Salah King before the defence really got got showed up. Mane in particular, Firmino in particular, mm. to defend from the front because we didn't really have the goalkeeper. We didn't have the centre-backs. Mm. That's changed gradually. Um, but yeah, Liverpool are more than capable now of soaking pressure and hanging on to leads, sort of thing. But I think one, one thing we did mention last week that turned out to be crucial, I ended up writing a piece on it, was we, we mentioned last week that it may come down to just which team converts their chances mm. better which teams the more clinical on the day. And I think that's that's absolutely how it worked out. Yeah. Liverpool um, scored with their first and second shot hmm. on Sunday. Uh, overall conversion rate from the match of 25%, which is, you know, above average really. Yeah. I think you're looking at Definitely. an average of about 15 to 20% usually, hmm. with most players at least. Yeah. Um, 
and I, th- I think Liverpool have really been able to do that, particularly at Anfield against City. Really clinical, mm. taking your chances whenever you get them. And City, particularly Aguero, seem to do seem to do the opposite. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just if you remember, yes, um, last week on on the show when we were talking about um, Chamberlain um, and that ability to shoot from distance. You know, I spoke about how company basically won the won the title for Manchester City doing that last season against Leicester. Um, Although we said, you know, you don't want to be over reliant on on these shots from distance. That's all for Fabinho's ultimately hit a hit a ball from way outside the box that you probably wouldn't really will him on to do it. And he scored a very important goal in the game that completely changed the dynamic in the favour of 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 Liverpool. Um and actually at times for me, I know City are masters of you know, cutbacks and working in the half space and creating shots from really good angles, you know, centre of the goal, not from far out. But there, there did seem to be some indecisiveness in, in around Liverpool's penalty area where I think City should have attempted more shots. You know, even if they ended up getting a deflection or, I don't know, just test the keeper a little bit more. I felt there was quite a few examples of them not doing that. Whether that's just down to purely Liverpool's really good pressure, but... I think that was a a big narrative and a big difference between between the two sides. Yeah, one of the reasons, just on that, one of the reasons that maybe they're not shooting from slightly unrealistic areas is because maybe because Allison's in goal. Maybe mm. they're aware that like you know you need to get generate more clear cut chances mm. to beat to beat that goalkeeper. So in terms of where the overthinking in I don't and was it because it's Liverpool? You know, if it was, I don't know, Southampton like it was the week before. Yeah, you know, would would they be more inclined to take more efforts? Because ultimately, the goals come from a bit one of those kind of. I know there's the decent ball cut back, but from where Bernardo Silva's hit it, it's. I wouldn't say it's a great position to be taking a shot, um, but as I said, I think on, if you look at the underbelly of that, it's a testament to Liverpool and their defence and and the goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, just just a little bit more on Liverpool's conversion there. Um, when Liverpool beat City three nil in the Champions League. We scored with our second shot, third shot, and fifth shot, um, with a conversion rate of thirty-seven point five percent on the day. When we beat City four three at Anfield, we scored the opener with the second shot of the match. Mm. That was actually Chamberlain from outside the box. So, and our, our conversion rate on the day that day was again twenty-five percent. So I think, and I, I looked at other matches that City have struggled in this season. So I looked at Norwich. I looked at Wolves. And in both both of them days, City faced about a total of about seven shots each time. Seven or six, I think mm. it was. But Norwich and Wolves, just clinical, take your chances. Mm. I remember Gary Neville spoke a couple of weeks ago. And he said, what he said stuck with me. He said, when you, when you play against City, if you want to beat them and that, you've almost got to live in moments whereby you're not going to get in for like half an hour. Mm. And when you do... Yeah, you have to take it. If yeah. you're going to get in front of them, you have to take it. Mm. And I think Liverpool have proved to be, for me, the best at, you know, absolutely maximising any opportunity you're given against mm. the City team. Hence why Guardiola seems to struggle and City seems to struggle. But despite that, I do think it's worth saying that, for me, it was the best I've seen City's, uh, Guardiola's City play at Anfield for me. Yeah. It's the best performance I've seen them put in. Um, yeah, 
I totally agree. Um, I can't really add much more. So I thought they were they they played really well across the pitch. I thought maybe in the final third they they had they could have done better in moments, maybe better decision making. But you know, as I said, Liverpool were really impressive um, defensively in terms of sitting back and you know soaking up that pressure, cutting out passing angles and frustrating City really in that final third. Um, I mean. Th- their XG on the day was around 1.3 to 1.5 in the region of that. Mm. Um, that's the first time Guardiola's posted over one XG at Anfield. That. Mm. So is that without is that non-penalty XG? Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's non-penalty XG. Yeah, um, last year, for example, they posted 0.18 without the penalty. Mm. Um, and only 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 managed six shots on the day. They managed eighteen on Sunday. Mm. So as I said, it was a, it was a decent performance. And I think if that match, if I'm being totally honest, I think I think if that match was to be replayed hundred times, that that exact match with them exact chances created, I think you may be looking at a draw. Mm. You may be looking at a few City wins, a few Liverpool yeah. wins. But as I said, I just think on the day. Liverpool really took their chances. City didn't. Mm. Um, and it's not the first time that's happened. I think Aguero missed a few scissors. Um, do you think we maybe benefited from a bit of leniency regarding the referee and, and certain decisions and things like that? But I do think that it's it's probably the best I've seen City play at Anfield. I am happy saying though that Liverpool deserve to win simply because on the day we, we did convert our chances better. More clinical, yeah. Yeah, we demonstrated mm. better better capability when presented with actual shots. Um, but one question that I do need to address is that quite a few people have messaged me this week saying, you know, address Milner, basically. Why does he bring Milner on? Mm. And that sort of thing. When um, Because people seem to think that he doesn't really add a lot or the game seems to, seems to go the opposite way. Have you got any any general thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. So, I I see Milner as, as quite a composed character, to be honest. And I always remember one performance he come on and he, he give the ball away straight away, and he, you know he was meant to come on and calm the game. But um, I don't know. For me, I think Milner's a great a great player to bring on. Um, certainly, if you're trying to manage a football game. You know, he's, he's a cool character on the pitch. I don't know, I, I, a bit of, bit of tennis here um, <laughs> in terms of firing a question back to you, but I don't know what it says. For, can I ask your opinion on Henderson being one of the first substitutions to come off often in that midfield as a, as the club captain? On that day, though, bear in mind the amount of running that the midfield has to do and he'd been ill couple of days earlier mm. on the day I'm going to get to it anyway but I thought Wijnaldum was superb Yeah, he was, yeah he was Fabinho, was, players, Fabinho yeah. never comes off Fabinho's ridiculous so for me that player has to be Henderson yeah to, but do you not off. think it happens he comes off quite a lot yeah, yeah maybe he does but I, I don't overly see much of an issue with that I think mm. he's he's starting most matches you know what I mean over the likes of Oxlade Chamberlain over Naby Keita, over Milner. I, just, I feel like when you're the... I know it's not a massive role anymore in the modern game, but I feel like you should be a mainstay when you're the captain. I know what you're saying. Is that old-fashioned? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. I think it right. is. I don't. I End don't, of discussion. I'm not. I'm not big on the whole um, captaincy thing. Fair, but okay. Just going back to Milner anyway. Yeah, I think he's. Um, yeah, I think he's a he's a he's a good character character to come on in these games. And Klopp seems to trust him in these emotionally driven fixtures. Yeah. Well, and I think coming on when the game was was it right in saying it was still three nil. Um. I think it was, yeah. yeah so was. the game's poised, isn't it? Um, although Liverpool are comfortable, like one goal, maybe two, completely changes the, the complexion of the game. So I can understand why he uses them. Put it this way. I think this perception is derived from this, right? Milner comes on on the 61st minute. Hmm. Liverpool's last shot of the match is on the oh, 63rd yeah. minute. Hmm. Right. So it looks the common perception will be that once Milner came on we played crap mm. once Milner came on we couldn't keep the ball and things like that more reserved I am inclined to think that that was a relatively deliberate ploy um, to okay we're 3-0 up there's half an hour left in the match mm. for me that's a little bit too long but there's half an hour left in the match we are gonna sit on this lead and I think Milner, you know, you hear about all the things behind the scenes regarding the dirty tricks that he that he tries to introduce to certain players in the squad. Mm. He's obviously won Premier League titles before. Yeah, I think Milner is almost the sign that Klopp gives his team. Milner comes on the pitch, and I, I think that's almost Klopp's sign, as if to say, we now start introducing the dark arts. Do you know what I mean? We now, we now, so you think now more than just a pl- introduction of a player, it's potential a signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just mm. because of what Milner represents, I think a lot of what Milner brings is is up here in your, in, in your head. Kind yeah, of thing. That, yeah, the intangibles that, yeah. that you can't really mm. address. So I, I think when when we introduce Milner back end of a match with a lead, I do think it's that kind of indicator almost to the team that. We're gonna manage this now. Mm. This is where the dark arts come in. This is where the winning mentality comes in, um, and that, and that sort of thing. I've said before, Klopp's obviously very big on the, like on emotion and things like that, and yeah. what players bring in that regard. Yeah, that's I think the that's point. I was yeah touching on. Totally agree. Just you know, he's he's a, he's in these fixtures. He just seems a lot more composed, especially in these huge ones. He he seems to use them a lot. You know, in the Uniteds and the Goodison, and he just exactly yeah yeah. He and really I think on him. I think for me. He doesn't always look as composed for me, and I think he he gives away a lot of fouls as well that mm. you don't really want. And I do think even though he, he brings this, I do think he could bring it better. I think mm. he could manage games better. But just because of his career, his experience, sounds a bit old-fashioned, but the dressing room impact that he's got, you hear all kinds about him, what he, what he does behind the scenes and things like that with mm. certain players. Klopp said in press conferences and that, that you know... I think he said something along the lines of like the, the current mentality of the squad wouldn't be possible without Milner and Henderson mm. just because of you know the impact that mm. the, the two have um, so I, th- I think I just think Milner's that kind of sub He's, he, he he introduces a different almost a different approach to the game in terms of your mindset we no longer have to go end to end we no longer have to press relentlessly or whatever it's just a different vibe once he enters the pitch mm. If you look at the stats, it'll look terrible. But if you consider maybe why, I I don't think we'll have intentionally 
I, sorry, I don't think we'll have um, wanted the ball, but like just hadn't been able to catch it for the last half an hour. I think it'll have been a deliberate ploy to sit on that lead to an extent at least. Mm. I think we'll have wanted more shots in yeah. the 63rd minute. Mm. But I think, I do think it was somewhat deliberate to, okay, we've got a 3 0 lead. This is a w- ridiculous pressing team, uh, possession team. We can only press for so long without getting opened up. We're going to now clog the spaces. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, oh, yeah totally. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's that kind of character. Um, and that, that theory completely makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll we'll conclude the City match just with a couple of words on players that, for me, deserve a mention. Mm. Uh, and the two Liverpool lads that deserve a mention are, for me, Lovren and Wijnaldum. Mm. Two players that I thought... The reason I've picked them two... A lot of players played well, but the reason I picked them two is because they they maybe don't get that much praise very often. Mm. They go under the radar. Yeah. And I think they both didn't put a foot wrong. I thought Wijnaldum was superb. Oh, he was unbelievable. Um, unbelievable, yeah. When you see him like that, I kind of question why he doesn't do it every week. Yeah, I know. Because some weeks he can come across as slow and... You know he's faster than than how he's running. It's weird. Do you know what? Right though, I feel like he's a type of player that clicks clicks into uh, gear under more pressure. I feel like he doesn't enjoy a game where it's it's slower and then it, it requires more build up. I think you know, know the way like the Barcelona game that 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 clip that we all remember where he yeah. takes two of them out of the game. I think yeah. he's he's a player that kind of runs on reactions as opposed to. Yeah, overthinking I've, things. Um, yeah. So I think in these big fixtures, that's why he seems to stand out so much. Yeah, I've said before that he's a, he is a chameleon. <laughs> in in that he he becomes what you need him to mm. be. Whatever the situation is, he will adapt and become whatever is required of him. Mm. And obviously, in a midfield where you're up against, you know, strong opponents mm. that are going to pressure, when Alan turns into this mobile, fast press resistant midfielder yeah. that every other week he instead just plays a, a quiet backseat game yeah. and lets the key men do the mm. do, do the attacking sort of thing. Mm. Um but I was I was impressed by his, his acceleration now and the speed and tight spaces and little things like that that we don't we don't see every week and I think if Wine Aldum showed that every week which he doesn't he doesn't really have to because of his role in the team and because of what other players are doing anyway. Mm. But if he did that every week, I think he'd get a lot more praise. Do you think it's a tactical res- restrictions though, maybe? I think our midfield is is primarily focused on control, yeah. Yeah, because I, I feel like a lot of... Even on Sunday after the match, I was talking to a few of the lads afterwards in the pub and like, did the midfield still get so much stick? And I think a lot of the time they have to sacrifice the quality of their own game to to do the job that the team needs. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um I think we we've made a conscious choice to attack out wide basically. Mm. Penetrate out wide, build the play using the flanks because it's safer. Mm. And because of the profiles we've got in the team as well, use our central midfielders to just keep things ticking over, provide defensive coverage and take few risks on the ball, mm. sort of thing. But in a match against City, though, where it becomes a bit more transition focused and end to end and that sort of thing, and we want that mm. to disrupt their game, yeah. I think Wijnaldum almost comes alive because he's got it because yeah. that's what the environment becomes. Mm. That sort of thing. 
And one one more player, City player that I wanted to mention that I before the pod actually predicted would maybe struggle is Rodri. Yeah. I thought Rodri was superb. Yeah, he if was. You look at his, have a look at his pass map while you're there now. And his pass maps his pass maps brilliant. But I think beneath the surface because of how quick the match was, because of how technically good all of City's players are, he'll have maybe gone under radar a little bit, but yeah, I've been, I've literally been singing his praises because just, just the speed he's, he's. Don't forget, he only come in this summer, you know. It, the, the speed he's come into this division and, um, and settled in, and he's such a big player already for them. You know, he's taken on, he's t- he's filled the shoes of Fernandinho, who has obviously been an unbelievable player for um, City over the past say four to five years, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the pass map now, and. It's, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's you know, it's just not an Anfield pass map, is it? No, not at all. There's, you know, there's every type of ball in almost every location. It's really, really impressive. Yeah, um, he just considering how players are usually phased on their first visit to Anfield, mm. he just didn't seem no. that way inclined. I think he he's going to be massive for Manchester. He seems very you know, cool. I think he's going to be a great player over the next few years. So the stakes have played then after twelve matches. Twelve matches in, obviously got an international break now. Liverpool have an eight-point lead over second place mm. and a nine-point lead over the current holders. Mm. That's big. Massive. <laughs> Wouldn't have expected it. You probably, I think it's f- fair to say, you, you expect another toe-to-toe battle where it was just each weekend, both teams, you know, uh, finishing the weekend, same points, one-point difference. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's various statistical models out there that based on the likes of, you know, underlying numbers and things like that, can forecast how a season may go. And after 12 matches, a forecasting model called, you know, 538, it's called if you want to check it out, 538.com, they suggest that Liverpool now have a 67% probability of winning the Premier League, which is enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) That can obviously change. That can obviously change with with the single result, but as it stands right now, that's how it's looking. That's how favourable the current situation is for Liverpool. Yeah, there's various different ones, but that's uh, a fairly reputable one that I just opted to to include. Um, and I think for the rest of the year, I actually think that the gap may widen, just because of City's fixtures. Mm. Um, Liverpool have generally had a tougher start if you actually look at the average positions of teams. So up until the turn of the year, up until the end, you know, New Year's Day, City faced teams with an average position in the league of 6.7. So 6.7th in the division. Mm. Um, Liverpool's average is 10.7. We do play fewer matches though because of the um, the Club World Cup. Yeah, But if we... If that was not to be in place, I, I do think that Liverpool may have an even wider gap to City by... I mean, obviously you can't you can't really legislate for the amount of games Liverpool have to play. So that might catch, catch up with us, you know, fitness issues and things like that. But if things go as planned, City have got generally tougher matches. Um, the, the only thing I... The only, I don't know, counter-argument to that is for me, I feel like if Manchester City and Liverpool uh, on their best on the day, it doesn't really matter what the league throw up, they're going to beat them, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So the only time teams have a chance is when they're not playing the best. And in that case, I think it's 
the opposition is it's irrespective of who the opposition is so if Manchester City were to lose I would not have in a million years expected Manchester City to lose to Wolves and Norwich for example but would you say that City have looked at all close to their best since losing Laporte no, definitely. L- That's listen, what I mean. I'm in the a position where I think Liverpool are actually going to drop points over the next couple of months because, as I've said before, I think it'd be near on impossible not to. Give yeah, no, I'd, I'd expect us to as well. Yeah, but I just I I can't see Manchester City winning the games to close the gap. So what you're saying, I don't think is controversial at all. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a fair point. If you look at the the current underlying numbers anyway in the in the actual Premier League, Liverpool are currently third in the table for XG. Behind City, obviously at the top, they post consistently ridiculous mm. attacking numbers, and Chelsea, who you know, fair place, yeah, they love yeah. the absolute real deal. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun actually this year, Chelsea. And to be fair, Lampard's wiped a few eyes, including mine. Yeah, um, and Liverpool are currently second in the table for expected goals against. So we've got the second best defensive record, uh, behind only who we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Manchester United, they do seem to be able to defend, which mm-hmm. is one of the few things yeah. that they can actually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've taken <clears throat> we've taken the third most shots so far and faced the fourth most, which, you know, looking at those numbers, you, you'd I'd maybe expect slightly better mm. from a team that... I could tell you if this is when we spoke about that earlier, actually. I could see it in your face, you a little bit. Yeah, well, the, the, we may as well throw it in there. For, for the, the shots faced, Liverpool are fourth for shots faced. Mm. Liverpool have actually faced 10 more shots than Everton, mm. which is a testament to Everton's defensive game, don't get me wrong, but it's something that you wouldn't expect considering Liverpool's current points tally. Yeah, I agree, yeah. I don't think a team have ever posted a better points tally at this stage in Liverpool. Mm. So, you just expect Liverpool to be a little bit better there, but I do think it offers an insight into how Liverpool are winning games. I don't think we're winning games by massive margins. I think we're just doing what we have to, Mm. using as little energy as we can in certain games. Things like that. Well, I think that's, I think that's another key difference between Liverpool and City. So, I think City, when they're at the best, are unbelievable. Maybe maybe even better than Liverpool when they're at the best. And eight times out of ten, they'll be at the best. But those are the two is where they, they, seem, they don't seem to be able to grind results out like Liverpool do. Yeah, I think that's what's going to be... Yeah. yeah, I think that's going to be the, the problem by the end of the season. Whereas I think Liverpool mightn't blow teams away as much in the way they are now, but they'll grind out a lot more results. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one thing we, we, we can look at, you know, with it being the international breaks, one thing we don't usually do, look at Liverpool and the likes of City in comparison to Europe's top five leagues. So England, Spain, France, Italy, Germany. Um, most of those leagues have now played 11, 12, 13 matches. So you can get a general gauge there of where you stand. City, once you do look at those numbers, are still just ridiculous. Top for goals scored, two ahead of Barcelona on 35, Barcelona on 33. Top for expected goals ahead of, surprisingly, Atlanta, mm. Atalanta in uh, Italy. Um, and on the defensive side of the game, it's it's virtually the same. I think City's expected goals against isn't as flawless at the minute. It's about virtually identical to, to Liverpool's, really. Um, but they, they, they face very few shots. City have faced the fewest shots in Europe's top five leagues. They've only faced 82. 
Second best Real Madrid with 86. Third best Katsafi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming they've played fewer games then. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to look into. Might that. have been eleven games played, uh, but yeah, City just consistently under Guardiola, just the the ultimate data team. Really, they yeah. just they're in control of so much variance, in control of so much randomness that it's very unlikely that things are going to go wrong during a match. But because of the the adjustments that they've had to make without Laporte, Fernandinho, centre back, Otamendi being a bit of a mess. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's too harsh. No, <laughs> I no. think that's that's genuine. Yeah. It um, wouldn't have him in your team, would you, let's be honest? No. Yeah. No. I think he's he's what people think Lovren is. Mm. He's just erratic beyond belief. Yeah. Um So you actually think Lovren is very reliable and a good central defender, but he will in ten games normally have some sort of error that maybe could lead to a goal. And I think it, that narrative then spins from that. But I actually think Lovren's a really good defender, certainly better than Otamendi. Yeah, um, and an- another interesting little stat that I'd like to throw <laughs> in there that I tweeted was it's it's been eighty matches now, eighty Premier League matches. That's eight and a zero. Since Liverpool were beaten in the Premier League by more than one goal, mm. so that that's remarkable. Eh? Um, over two seasons, isn't it? Yeah, since the the four one loss to Spurs, um, and I think that just captures how Liverpool are kind of like never beaten. Really, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to to truly beat Liverpool. The way City have just lost by two goals on the weekend. Mm. City got beat two 0 by Wolves. Yeah, at one point against Norwich, they were two goals down. Yeah. It just never happens with Liverpool. Liverpool no. are always in it. Hence mm. the reason why they're always able to accumulate points and things like that. Um, and sticking to the, the Europe's top five leagues thing, I had a little look at players and obviously Trent is a player that we've mentioned quite a bit lately. Trent is currently third in Europe's top five leagues for expected assists. That works the same as XG. Obviously, considers a value based on the chance that you create but it doesn't consider whether the chance was scored or not. So for expected assists, Trent is third behind only Kevin De Bruyne and Di Maria, which is, again, crazy considering he's technically a right-back. I mean, it is, but then it feels like this stage, it's not really. Like, you, well, just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if you, if you step out the bubble, yeah, and look at it, you think, wow, but it's just... If there's a show that loves Trent, it's this one, and we we must have big, we must mention him every single week about how great he is. So yeah, but it the, doesn't even come as a surprise for me. Yeah, but the, the thing is, though, if you are a club using data at a high level, such as maybe a Barcelona, mm. Trent isn't half showing up at the, at this point. And if you're picking up on that, a 21 year old kid, and you watch a few videos of him, you can clearly see he's got everything about him to be world class and. Mm. I think, the, I think Barcelona will be all too aware of Trent, the, to be well, honest. Yeah, probably, that's a probably a good example, yeah. Probably yeah. a bad example, sorry. But, yeah. you know, Real Madrid then, for example. No, yeah, totally, yeah. He's, he's showing up as a ridiculous player for, for his age. Um, what um, what do you think, taking in consideration, his output now, his potential output in the future, his diversity in terms of playing <laughs> positions, what do you think someone would have to pay now and what to bring Trent to their club? <clears throat> I don't think we'd sell him. But uh, if you had to put a value on him, nobody <laughs> went right. You'd sell him for this much. Minimum 
200 million. Really, yeah? Yeah, genuinely. Wow. Because bear in mind, homegrown scouts um, with that level of output, <laughs> with that personality, you've got a future captain there for me. <laughs> I love that the two first things were homegrown no, scouts. No, th- th- those are big things. <laughs> no, that you yeah, don't I agree for the club. Yeah, yeah, that's that's your your brand, you know. For the, I think for the, you know, the... To represent the Liverpool clubs, you want to represent. You, you want. You always want the token scouts in there. So I totally agree, mate. Yeah, yeah. Agree. Like to, to represent Liverpool, you've got to have a certain bit about you. Yeah. Like I think Alberto Moreno, for example, one of the. I've got a, a take on 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 that player that like he had a, a fairly good offensive game, really good yeah. offensive traits, but I don't think he ever got the culture of the city mm. and the whole like you know the hard work and the endeavour the he was inclined to if he if he if he took a, a slight knock he'd go down crying, <laughs> and I don't think yeah, Liverpool no, fans yeah. could ever relate to that. I remember he was on one of those hoverboards walking the dog down like chill walls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, but I, I just don't think he ever had the the graft that Andy Robertson shows and things yeah, like that. I yeah. think Liverpool are really inclined to attach themselves to, mm. to the person behind the player. Yeah, hence why for me Trent is so valuable at the mm. minute. Analyzing Anfield. On the Blood Red channel. We'll move on to the questions. Yeah. Um, do you want to take the first one? We split the questions up this time around. Yeah, we did. The um, So your first question. Yeah, sorry, I haven't got the name of who sent it in. That's Probably. my fault, though. Yeah, we probably will do that next time. Apologies, but hopefully you'll know it's yours. I should uh, say as well, uh, if we don't address your question now, we probably will next week. Yeah, yeah. Just the, the beauty of the international break. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so the question is, apart from past success rates being skewed in football performance data, this is something we spoke about a little bit previously, is there any other performance data you think is skewed, flawed? Um, you know, I think, I don't know if we have touched on this before, we probably have, but I think there's a lot of work to be done from an analytical point of view in terms of defenders and defensive stats. Um... A really good example is interceptions, you know, uh, if a defender has a really high high output in terms of interceptions on paper, that could have previously looked to some people like, oh, he's a fantastic defender, but there's a lot of things that can impact that. You know, if you're, if you're playing for Saad who does a lot of defending, that's naturally going to increase, you know, compared to say if you were playing for Liverpool, but that doesn't necessarily make you a great defender. Um, I probably put tackles in there as well because... Wan-Bissaka is the perfect example that everyone loves to bring up but I've seen a lot of things after the Norwich game he, had, he made 11 tackles but if you're talking about tackles you have no idea why he's making the tackles if what's happened to if it's an error by him that it's a last resort or you just, it gives you no information on the passage of play um, yeah so I'd say a lot of defensive stats probably are overrated um, I don't know if you got this down as well but I think I think generally Chances created can generally be a bit adjusted by players who take set pieces. Yeah, that's a so, massive. Like one. you know, I'm trying to think of a player now who's benefited massively. Like James Madison does come to mind. Yeah, a player who looks extremely creative, but if you take if you remove his deliveries from set pieces mm. and the shots that are that are taken from headers, yeah, from them crosses. You know, you have on his output there, yeah. Oaks, probably. Yeah, well, a, a prime example was across the park. Gilfie Sigurdsson was perfect last year. Everton had a major issue at number 10. You know, they weren't creative enough from open play. But if you look at Sigurdsson's numbers, he looked really creative. But 
he's on set pieces, so that's influencing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, probably a good example to uh, the next question, which was connected to this, was what's the most overrated statistic? Statistics? Is it clean sheets? Yeah. Um, I don't. I value clean sheets, but I understand the the point that they're trying to make. Um, from I've, a goalkeeper's perspective, yeah, clean yeah. sheets is probably a bit overrated. Yeah, I don't think it applies too much. But as a team, yeah, met, metric, it's a, it's definitely yeah. yeah. I think on on the point we were just talking about, I think assists is a huge one for me. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I think you know. You're highly reliant on the play you give yeah, the ball to, right? Exactly, yeah. You, you know, a player could be three men, put the ball into the cross, and the striker's six yards out and balloon over the bar, where there's another winger, maybe could play a five yard pass. Player could turn three players and hit it into the top corner, and one's got the assist and one hasn't. So I think that's a massive one. From more general ones, I think possession, you know, t- tactically, some sides choose to you know, forfeit possession in games, but they can still be the most dominant side across the whole fixture. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, shots on goal as well. Another good example was, uh, you were talking about Everton earlier, weren't we? Against, they had 20-odd shots against Southampton, but yeah. if they're all from distance, they're not really yeah. anything of note. And most likely, a side will be pretty content to to welcome those shots. Yeah, you've just got to be thorough in how you analyse things, haven't you? Like, definitely, yeah. Like the other week, Arsenal played... Is it Vittoria? Yeah. In the uh, Europa League. And I saw some tweets that, like, you know, at half time, I think Arsenal, Arsenal had, had maybe zero shots or something like that, and Vittoria had, had like 10. Yeah. And I was like, that's terrible. But I looked at the shots, and Vitt- something like eight of Vittoria's were from like 40 yards or yeah. something. So you're happy to concede them. If They're anything, fine. you invite them, don't you? That's a sign of frustration with a very little chance of leading to conceding a goal. Yeah, you shoot all you want. Yeah. From my perspective, if you're an opposing team, you want to shoot from that far, fine. Yeah. You know, to go ahead and do it. Um, yeah, that maybe tackle success rate again, touching on defenders. I think that, you know, how many times have you seen someone raving over 100% tackle success rate, but yes. you have no idea of the context again. Yeah. I uh, don't know if you've got any more you can think of off the top of your head. One thing I don't like that I think Sky do quite often is team, team rankings. So, like, they'll say, like, at the end of a match or something that, Madison was first for his team on the day for assists, mm. which is just stu- yeah. stupid. Yeah. I just don't get. I just yeah. don't get that. No, first, yeah. first on the day from his team for passes. Yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, anyway, my question. <laughs> Maybe a bit too high. Um, are we as good as last season? By the way, I should say the questions I thought today on the whole were very good. Yeah, I thought they were. The best set of questions we've got. Um, so, you know, thanks for those. I was conscious of uh, offending people who'd sent them in previously, but I'm glad you've led it there. Because yeah, <laughs> I agree, there were some really, really good ones. Listen, every question we ever get is great. <laughs> this time it was just a bit more great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll be as good as last season. Thought that was a good question. Hmm. Uh, so, after 12 matches this season, we have an XG of 24.4. We've ex- been expected to score 24.4 goals. Last season, it was 23.6. So, on the attacking side, technically, we've improved. Um, I'm not sure at this point whether or not we've had more penalties or not. Um, That will have influenced things slightly. But I think roughly on the attacking side, we're about the same, I'd say. Uh, In defence, we are slightly worse. Um, We've got an expected goals against of 11.7 at the minute. 
been expected to concede 11.7 goals. Last season at this stage, it was 9.7. Um, there's not that much of a difference there, but what I do think has impacted things, the whole narrative that this that last season we were better, I think it's massively impacted by last season. We'd overperformed a fair bit. Mm. So we'd, we'd been expected to concede 9.7 by this stage last year, but we'd only actually conceded, I think, five. Yeah, yeah, it was something Alisson had saved shots he shouldn't and things like that. And we'd kept seven clean sheets mm. by then. I think this season we've only kept, kept two. So I don't think the actual defensive showings are that different. But, you know, the end product sort of thing, the outcomes are slightly different. We'd overperformed last season, whether that be down to facing strikers that couldn't finish, whether that be down to luck whether that be down to Allison just being better than the average goalkeeper. We just let in fewer goals than we should have. Mm. Um, if we'd have conceded last season at this season's rate, which is you know a normal rate, I don't think people will have felt as uh, vulnerable in comparison to last yeah. year, if you know what I mean by that. Mm. So I don't think there's a massive difference between us this season and last year. Based pr- purely on the numbers... We've went slightly up in attack, but slightly down in defence. But as I said, it's it's. I think the narrative is mainly related to the goals that are actually going in. You know, we're conceding, conceding goals that would be expected to concede this year, whereas last year we just saved beyond our means kind of thing. Hmm. Um, it's a nod to the expected uh, yeah. metrics as a whole, isn't it? That yeah, the, as the I, I said... Yeah, I said last week that I, I think it's a matter of time before Liverpool keep about five clean sheets in a row or something like that just to balance things out because I think we're, we're unusually suffering at the minute. Mm. Like the, the Pookie goal first game of the season, the Willems goal against Newcastle was yeah. just silly. The Madison goal, Leicester's first shot of the game or something. Mm. That that won't continue for me. I mm. think we'll keep a few clean sheets in the, in the coming weeks. We'll see. This was a really, really good question, by the way. Um, do you think the average age of the team will get higher in the next three years if Klopp decides to go which is looking likely We when we say decide to go in the next two when years when plus, it's contractual yeah, yeah. Um, will he want to maximise everything from his plays now um, and leave the rebuild to whoever comes in solid question yeah really really hard you can tell this is a listener like yeah a regular listener definitely yeah um, hopefully <laughs> yeah or if not hopefully they will be yeah. so in truth it's it's really hard to answer because we don't know um, my theory is say if Pep Linders was the lined up for the job or it was clear he was going to take over which is something we've toyed with as an idea haven't we on the show talking about it yeah. I think that could be it it could be something that he will keep in mind for his, you know, in terms of laying a potential platform for him to build on at Liverpool. Um, Equally, you know, I don't know, would it be so difficult to transition players out of this team now and reinvest it into other quality players? If you look at Coutinho, that looked like that was going to be a big... A big blow to the to the starting eleven. In fact, the money was in, reinvested really well, and Liverpool actually went on to to be a better side. So I don't know. 
Uh, on one hand, I think he, he he could potentially be thinking about the future, especially because it's quite clear he loves the club. But will he be looking at it and just thinking that's not my problem? I don't know. Have you any thoughts on that? Well, my my, my immediate thought is that it's it's not up to Klopp. My immediate thought is that we have a sporting director. Mm, He's yeah, responsible. Fair, fair, fair point. Yeah. He's responsible for taking care of the the long term health of the squad. Mm. So. You know the whole purpose of a sporting director is so that, like, regardless of how many managers you go through, the integrity of the squad and the style of football that that squad is suited for mm. remains intact. Um, so I think we'll just continue to build, continue to add year on year. Um, but the the obviously they're gonna have conversations with them, aren't they both? Um, the the team and and I, Klopp. So what? How would you how would you think that conversation would go? Because Klopp would be thinking about the short term, wouldn't he? In terms of playing personnel, whereas the long term would be different. I'm just you say that, but I, I just don't think Klopp's at all a long term manager, eh, a short term manager. I think he's. When really, I say short term, I don't mean the six months, but say up until the end of his contract, he'll be thinking about obviously trying to win as many as many trophies as he can with Liverpool only. He he will, yeah, but I think that's achievable. Regardless, I, I don't think Liverpool will ever, well, ever, I don't think Liverpool, if it can be helped, will go through another year of transition. I think Liverpool's squad now will be carefully, carefully managed year in, year out to ensure that no transition periods are ever experienced again. Mm. Um, that, there was a quote from Billy Bean on John Henry. Billy Bean's obviously the guy behind Moneyball. Which is a really good film. Um, is it in a book as well? It's a book as well, yeah. 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 Um, I'm lazy, I've only watched the film. But he said a couple of years ago that John Henry knows how to run his football clubs. He wants to win, not just now, but for the next 100 years, which is obviously very encouraging for us Reds. Mm. Um, but I think that now that we've achieved what we've been trying to achieve for years, I do think that'll be a, a case of carefully managing... You know, say for example now if you look at the current squad, you've got Lalana who he's definitely over thirty. I'm not exactly sure what his age is. Um but his contract's coming up towards the end. I think he'll be let go. Milner. Lalana's not first team though, is he really? No, no, but yeah. th- th- this is how I think we'll balance the squad sort of thing with with age. I think Milner, okay, he's getting on, but I I do think Milner may get another deal. Just because of what he adds off the pitch. Mm, yeah, fair. Um, I think Henderson will get a new deal eventually, but with you to becoming another Milner, another utility man yeah. who fills in that right back and left back if he's needed. Yeah. And I think those deals will be on lower wages. Their replacements will gradually be introduced. Like I think their gradual replacements are probably Kate and Chamberlain, um, if it can be if it can be that way. Yeah. So I just think it'll be a, a gradual contingency thing that we just do year in, year out to ensure that no real major So there's no fall-off almost in the cliff where someone's got to come in and yeah, kick, I don't, piece it all back together. No, I don't think there'll be mm. a major turnover now, ever, if, mm. if it can be helped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I thought it was a good question. Though. Yeah, very good question. question. Uh, so I got asked about Ryan Fraser. Uh Classic Liverpool signing or not. Good age at 25. Not many injuries. High assists last season. So, I can see why people think he would be appropriate. 
but I would personally be surprised if he was a legitimate target. Um, he's definitely the right age. Did get a lot of assists last season. But I don't think he's got world-class potential. And I think that's a Liverpool requirement. Mm. I think we have aspirations to compete at the highest level now, regardless. I think we're going to try to maintain what we've currently got. To do that, you have to consistently sign players that are capable of performing at that level. And I think, OK, my own phrase has posted decent numbers. Are his numbers going to be translatable and transcendable, if you like, mm. to another plane in which Salah could, Mane could? Mm. I'm not sure what Fraser. It, for me, he doesn't offer enough of a scoring threat um, beyond providing chances for others. I expect his assist numbers are good, but he tends to shoot, based on about the past three seasons, he tends to shoot about one and a half times a match. Mm. You, you want more than that. And okay, yeah. he's playing for Bournemouth and that should increase at Liverpool, but I'm just not sure he's he's got that world-class potential that would be worth investing in. Yeah. That Klopp could, you know get out of him, you know, harvest that potential out of him. I think Ryan Fraser's top level for me is maybe maybe a Leicester. Top level at Leicester or something mm. like that, maybe. Top eight sides or something. Yeah, I don't think he's, I don't think his top level is competing for the Premier League and a Champions League. No. I think, you know, I, we when we when we were talking about this earlier, wasn't we, and I said it, it felt very much like the Shakiri type move, but as you pointed out, you know that was that was on the back of a relegation, which means he come in very cheap. If if Fraser's coming, it'd be for a lot of money, really. And I think if Liverpool are going to part with so much money, then they need to they need to do it on players who are of that caliber. And I agree. I don't think he. I don't think he is that standard. I don't think he's Liverpool standard. I just think when, when we make signings, <clears throat> a lot of it's to do with like risk versus reward sort of thing, um, and. Shikiri was worth the risk because mm. he was 13 million. That's, yeah. that's nothing. Yeah. I think Fraser, the money Fraser had cost, I don't think it'd be worth investing in Fraser. I think you might as well no. invest it in someone with high, a higher seal. Yeah. So. Totally agree, yeah. Um, someone asked, is Salah's passing really as bad as it seems? Um, interesting question. Yeah. Obviously, it's something that we'd mentioned before. Um, so, in the Premier League this season, He's averaged around 27 passes per 90. Um, his passing accuracy is close to 77%, which does rank outside the top 30 forwards who've played 500 or more league minutes. Premier League, is that? Premier League, yeah. This is only Premier League. Um, but then, I've, I've, I've spoke about this before. It's For me, firstly, I don't see an integral part of Salah's game being his, his passing ability at all. Chance creation, yeah, but not not passes. Um I think if you're if you're playing in that position, um normally nine times out of ten he's coming in off the flank. You know, trying to complete passes in the final third is really difficult due to lack of passing ang- angles and and really numerical advantages for defending sides. It's it's really tough. So you you wouldn't you shouldn't be expecting to see Salah completing the same sort of uh, level of passes as say like a, a central midfielder or or wing back defender because it's just a completely different position. And so in, in in truth, yeah, it 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 doesn't look great, but 
he attempts more difficult passes from difficult areas and I don't really think it's an integral part of his game. One alternative take on that as well is Salah giving the ball away high up the field can inadvertently create a chance. Do you know what I mean? Because it can, it can cause chaos. It yeah. can... Kick in the counter press. Like, exactly, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing, yeah. Mm. Like if he, if he gives the ball away, having tried to play Firmino into the penalty box mm. and okay, it's intercepted, but the resulting interception leads to the feet of Jordan Henderson sort of thing. It's like it's it, almost like a, a, a two... A two-plan process, isn't it? Where plan A, a aka the pass, doesn't come off. Plan B is essentially forcing, forcing an error. Yeah, I just think he's allowed to try things. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be super crit- critical of a man of his passing, I'll be honest. I, no. I did say to you, actually, sometimes, like you said, you, you've, you've been with people where they, they're like, he's always giving the ball away. But I think when you're in the final third, people's interest peaks a little bit and you start you know getting excited to see what's about to happen and if the ball's lost that stays with you a lot longer and it forms a bit of more of a narrative yeah um, so yeah, yeah no definitely yeah and I think this is probably going to be the final question but I think it's it's an interesting one um, would you w- would like to know your thoughts on Klopp renewing his contract also I'm concerned about Klopp recommending Gerard as his replacement mm-hmm. As in my view, he won't be ready. Another soonest. So, <laughs> we G- Gerard gets linked quite regularly, um, and we haven't really addressed him at all, and we haven't had to address any kind of managerial ha- how you go about managerial recruitment. Mm. Thank God, because we've got Jurgen Klopp. So yeah. hopefully, you never will. <laughs> Forever, we probably will eventually anyway. But you know. Th- there's certain things you've got to consider when we get Gerard in. Obviously, we'll still have, hopefully, Michael Edwards and we'll still have the structure in place and we'll still have a solid squad because Edwards will be overseeing that. But you've got to consider, what does Klopp bring? I, I Just on the contract situation, sorry. I do think Klopp will go at the end of the contract. I think this will be his last club job and I think he'll end up taking charge of Germany, national side. I think that'll be it for Klopp. Um, but in terms of Gerard being his replacement... What does Klopp bring to Liverpool at the minute? So for me, he brings A, an aura mm-hmm. in terms of if you're a potential signing, getting linked with Liverpool, do you know who Jürgen Klopp is? Do you want to play for Jürgen Klopp? Mm. Does, he, does he entice you in? Of course he does. Does Gerard? For me, he does, yeah. Mm. For me, people know who Gerard is. Club legend, Liverpool legend. That's, that's fine for me. So Gerard ticks that, ticks that box. Liverpool now have an identity for me of, you know, an intense brand of football. That's our identity now, if you like. And that's the identity that Michael Edwards, I think, is going to have to uphold. You know, managing the squad, recruitments and sort mm-hmm. of thing. You're going to have to keep an intense brand of football to be able to be played. Gerard's a very intense character. Always has been. He's got Rangers playing a similar brand of football so I think again that box is ticked um, Klopp is a natural leader Stephen Gerrard obviously a natural leader so again another box ticked Klopp superb communicator Stephen Gerrard for me wonderful communicator another box ticked it's getting encouraging mm. um, and then you obviously look at the crucial aspect the performance levels so 
we obviously know that Liverpool are very data focused. Liverpool data is now ingrained in Liverpool's decision making. It was involved when Jurgen Klopp got the job at Liverpool, obviously because he had a final season at Dortmund that wasn't very good. So um, Ian Graham, who's in charge of Liverpool, Liverpool's head of research, I think it is, was tasked with you know getting to the bottom of it. Was it unlucky? Was it just the team was bad under Klopp? You know what was it? Um, so whenever Liverpool do, do go to a point, the next man, they're obviously going to have to consider. Is this coach able to coach a good team, able to produce good performance levels that are sustainable? So just having a little look at Rangers over the past year, and people say as well, you're inclined to say this, aren't you? <laughs> I, I said this to you earlier on. People are inclined to say, oh, it's Rangers, they should be dominating that league. If Gerard is to take charge of the current Liverpool, he will be dominating should be dominating the Premier League in a similar way, similar to what Rangers are dominating in Scotland. So are you going to let me counter this in a minute? If you want, yeah. yeah. okay. But I, so I don't see much of an issue with that. I don't see an overwhelming problem with Gerard having an advantage over in Scotland because I think he'll have an advantage at Liverpool. He'll be taking over a similar job whereby he'll be dominant over most teams. So that for me, that that's, that's translatable. So looking at Rangers over the past year, um, excluding friendlies, let's have a look. Excluding friendlies, so they post an average XG of two point one, and they face an average XG of zero point eight. So clearly, that's very very strong. Um, that's what you want. That's a clear dominance. Mm. Um, and just to look at the attacking side, so they face. Sorry, they take an average of about 16 shots per match and they face an average of about seven. So it's dominance. That's slightly better than Liverpool at the minute mm. under Klopp, albeit in a stronger league. Um, but that you're leaving very little room there for variance. You're leaving very little room there for randomness. Rangers are dominating their opponents, clearly, in a way that is sustainable. He's not benefiting from luck, nothing like that. Um, Rangers average possession over the course of the past year is 61%, 61% compared to obviously 39% faced. They're just short of 70% this season in the Premier League. Uh, sorry, Scottish Premiership, which is the highest in the division. Yeah, which, average. you know, again, dominant. Mm. Uh, so clearly the performance levels there for me, based on Gerard's time at Rangers over the past year at least, is really encouraging. I think it's 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 applicable to a top job. It suggests that he's got his team well drilled and his team are dominant and his team aren't benefiting from luck or anything like that. Like, for example, what I've just said there on the, on the XG, they're creating 2.1 XG per match and they're scoring 2.1 goals. Mm. So they're not benefiting from player quality, nothing mm. like that. They're not underperforming, they're not overperforming. Everything you're seeing from Rangers on the attacking side is justified. Yeah. And then on the defensive side, they should be conceding, um, as I said, 0.8 goals per match, actually conceding 0.6. So slightly overperforming, but not to the extent that Gerard's a lucky manager or anything like that. Um, so I, I, I am really encouraged looking at Rangers' numbers. Yeah, no, it, to be fair, 
I'm looking now, underlying numbers do back them up. Like they got the best expected well, XG against in the in the division. Uh, they've conceded seven goals and uh, this is only league by the way, and yet they're just short of seven expected goals against. Um and yeah, again to be fair, you know, the they got the best XG thirty one point three six in the league and they've scored thirty five goals, so not a massive overperformance when you consider Celtic who were next below them, sorry, they rank second and their XG is twenty seven and they've scored thirty six goals. Yeah. So that on that you would say that's quite a big overperformance. So no, you make it's it's a valid point. And I, you know, one other thing as well that's obviously going to be important is Gerard good tactically is he good on the strategic side mm-hmm. of the game at the highest level so because obviously he's going to have to be competing in the Champions League so this season in the Europa League he's played for example Porto home and away in the away match Porto had 8 shots Rangers had 9 Porto's XG was much higher, so obviously Porto had considerably better, more clear-cut chances. And, you know, the score finished 1-1. At home in Scotland, Rangers, seven shots. Porto, seven shots. Rangers won 2-0. And the XG was low in both in, in, in both sides. So Rangers maybe didn't deserve that 2-0 win. But I think clearly this season... Gerard's demonstrating an ability to cope against the highest level teams, which I think is interesting, and I think is again it relates to a Liverpool-esque job. You're gonna, it's something that he's going to be required to do. They beat Feyenoord earlier in the season, one uh, 0 posted next year two point five against Feyenoord, zero point nine. So again, dominant performance. So I think what Gerard's doing is solid, and what Gerard's doing, it's not just a case of getting the Solskjaer in who is just a club legend mm. and just, you know, letting them just take charge because he's yeah. a club legend or getting a Lampard in who Lampard's numbers weren't disencouraging no. at all. Lampard had clearly benefited from all kinds of randomness that couldn't be accounted for. Gerard isn't. What Gerard's doing looks encouraging. He's young, former club captain um, and... Yeah, it, it it just looks applicable. And considering considering Klopp's contract runs until summer twenty twenty two, Gerard's got the rest of this season, next season, and the season after to get in a position whereby he's learned enough lessons. Liverpool will have, will have enough data on Rangers' performances if he's still there. I think it's based on how it's going. At least, obviously, a lot can change. I think it's possible. I do. If Everton's kept in place at Liverpool, Edwards. You know, the backroom staff, the whole data-driven decision-making, you know, all, all that sort of thing. If Everton's kept in place and Gerard just comes in to take Klopp's place as first team manager, I think it's possible. I do think it's possible. I'm not I'm not saying it's going to happen or any of that nonsense. Mm. Just looking at the numbers now, though, very encouraging for me. Mm. He's doing a good job over at Rangers. Everton, he's getting deserved and... So you, so you, so you would uh, happily see him stay at Rangers and then and then take the Liverpool job. You wouldn't like him to have a stepping stone in between. Um, if when Klopp leaves, Gerard's numbers are still this good, then I would have no real problems with at least interviewing him. Just you know, at least yeah. him without doubt being in the fray. Mm. Um, just to put context on my counter arguments, just because I think it's it's fair. 
and I'll keep it brief. Yeah. Um, I just think, although it's a two-horse race now in the Premier League, I think pr- the Premier League historically, the most dominant sides always find that the teams around them find counters to their dominance. I just think they, they it's it's proven by the fact that even United, who dominated for twenty odd years, had spells where they would then drop to maybe third or or fourth, and and, and kind of have to regroup and go again with a different sort of tactical um, form of attack. For me, I don't. I, 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 Scotland or the SPL is consistently dominated by Rangers or Celtic and the only time it hasn't been in recent times is when Rangers got relegated they've basically come back up and gone back to making it a, a Glasgow uh, orientated dominance and I just think you can't really compare the SPL and the Premier League so I think yeah his numbers are good but they, they're always going to look good in that league me personally I believe Gerard is on the right track. I agree with everything you say. I think Gerard is. Liverpool always need a narrative around the club, don't they? And Gerard's perfect for it. Klopp's been perfect in his, his way. Gerard would be as well. But I would definitely like to see a Stephen Stone before Rangers to Liverpool personally. Yeah, possibly. That's not mm. something I'd be completely against. Yeah. Because I think he's definitely, definitely on the right path. But yeah, yeah maybe just something in between. I just think it's going to be interesting when we come to a place in Klopp because obviously we will use data mm. to to assess the next the next manager whether whether he's able to get his teams in shape according to the numbers. Gerard does fit that bill at the minute, and all those other check boxes that I've just mentioned. Again, he applies. He does apply. Mm. I don't think Liverpool will be inclined to go down the route of a, a star man, a star name like an Ancelotti or something like that, or oh, yeah. a Mourinho or you know a big name like that. I think Liverpool will be inclined to use a contingency plan and get someone in that knows how the overall setup works. Liverpool are really well set up at the minute mm. with, you know, the whole strategy in terms of Mike Gordon, Edwards, the man be- the man below taking charge of the squad, bringing through youth academy prospects mm. who are good enough. And, and, and it, it all works. And I think Gerard would be a, a person who w- would be inclined to go in and he'd have no problem with disrupting that setup whereas say for example Rogers would Rogers mm. wants a bit more power than that sort of thing I think Gerard I think a move for Gerard would be seamless especially considering he's took charge of younger took charge of the um the reserve team and things mm. like that. Yeah. Um but yeah it, you know it'll be interesting but I just thought it, it it was time for us to go over Gerard's numbers in a bit more detail. Gerard as a as a managerial prospect in a bit more detail because I don't think yeah it, it dismisses that it's another soonest thing, doesn't it? Let's yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's this. It's it's not a case of he would just be appointed as a club legend who mm. is is relevant. It's it's not that he'd have to fit the bill. But at the minute, he he does fit the bill for me, and we will use that note to to round up. So, thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, thank you, mate. Just just to confirm, by the way, Josh did do this whole interview with no pants on like, like <laughs> I can I can confirm yeah we should have mentioned that actually yeah we should have mentioned that that wasn't far off happening was it no uh, way Christian could have been next to me now with his bills on his head well, I've just seen him in the kitchen there he's doing it right now <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah we will be back next week probably on Thursday to look ahead to Palace and to to address the questions that we didn't get to this time around so thanks for joining us thanks for joining us Dave and see you next week cheers mate You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.